what you're about to listen to is three people who are barely awake. <laughs> they're recording this while they're asleep. <laughs> These are the, the half-mumbled dreams of a... <laughs> yeah. of the night ramblings. <laughs> you're listening... Yeah, you are listening to Lance, Millie, and Pat sleep talk their way through an episode of Not With A Bang. I have a dream. I had the best words. Not With A Bang. World, world, world war three. Not With A Bang. Under the doctrine of multiculturalism. Go back where you came from. Not With A Bang. The arc of the moral universe is long... Nuclear Holocaust. Retreat from the world. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Retreat from the world. Those who forget history are going to pee. Alternative facts. That is no such thing. With a bang. I am the Kanda. The destroyer of worlds. Retreat from the world. Welcome to the very second episode of Not With A Bang, your post-truth guide to the pre-nuclear cataclysm world, episode two. Other things sharing the number two this week, the number of minutes to midnight on the doomsday clock as of this year, and the number of handsome people joining me on this podcast. Hey, Lance. (laughs) It's Millie Holton. Hello, I'm Millie Holton. Yes. Hi. And it's Pat McCaffrey. (laughs) Did we just cut Millie from the intro? <laughs> and Millie Holton. Hey, Lance. Hey, Millie. <laughs> Can you do that again? I'm sleepy. <laughs> oh, what a shit show. <laughs> An NGO in China has established family-friendly spaces at toy manufacturing factories to allow employees' children to spend their school holidays with their parents. The move has been welcomed as a way to keep families closer together. And as a way of getting even cheaper labour to improve productivity in the vital run-up to Christmas. After all, who knows how to make these toys better than the Chinese children who spend all day dreaming about owning them because their parents are too poor to afford them because of the shitty wages their hard-working parents get. President Trump has claimed that the not-president, Barack Obama, wiretapped his phones last year during the election. The claim is based on no evidence, according to intelligence agencies, many politicians in Trump's own party, and also everybody that isn't Donald Trump, as well as not being terribly possible because the president does not have the power to order the surveillance of an individual citizen unilaterally. The reason the president does not have these powers is that they could very well prove disastrous in the case that, say, a conspiracy theorist nutjob old man with no grasp on reality were, say, accidentally elected to the office. Scott Pruitt, the new head of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, has, despite accepting global warming is occurring, disputed that carbon dioxide emissions are the cause, saying he does not agree that it's a primary contributor to the global warming that we see, before going on to say he didn't think the environment needed protecting anyway. After all, we've been protecting the environment for ages, and it hasn't done anything for us. And anyway, it's time the environment learned to stand on its own two feet and lived its own life without needing us to hold its hand all the time. All you're dealing with this protection nonsense is enabling the environment's poor lifestyle choices anyway. Pruitt's immediate predecessor as EPA chief, Gina McCarthy, criticised the comments, saying, quote, I cannot imagine what additional information the administrator might want from scientists for him to understand that. To which Pruitt responded, quote, 
any additional information which supports my viewpoint, I'm willing to wait. German fears that the large numbers of refugees being resettled in the country would lead to an increase in violent crime have been vindicated, with figures released by the government showing that new migrants are involved in as many as 10 attacks per day. On them by German citizens. A shocking wake-up call for all wealthy nations, I think. I mean, if we accept these asylum seekers into our country, who knows what horrors might be unleashed? On them. By us. I've got a story, something we've heard all about, Trump versus fake news. In a turn of events that is somehow equally as shocking as it is predictable, President Trump has announced that he will not be attending this year's White House Correspondents' Dinner. This is the latest power play in the ongoing war between Trump and any media organisation who appears vaguely neutral or left-leaning, or as he likes to call them, enemies of the people. Of course, it seems inevitable that we would end up here. How could we not when his first ever press conference as president included him yelling, you are fake news at a CNN reporter? Maybe he thought the CNN reporter was like a ghost or something. (laughs) And there was that recent press conference he gave where he said that he's the least anti-Semitic guy you'll ever meet, despite the fact that he had just told a Jewish reporter in a yarmulke to sit (laughs) down before finishing his question. Amazing. Uh, Since then, his relationship with the media has further disintegrated and uh, more details have leaked regarding just how thin the skin of this particular orange mammal is. Of course, we can expect the classic late-night tweets from the president, uh, which further condemn certain publications as fake news. Well, yeah, that relationship with the media is so... I mean, you use the word disintegrated. It it is so far from healthy. It's basically soluble Panadol at this point that is just completely disappeared in water. However, unlike most of his presidential promises, Trump's words are actually being followed through with actions. On Friday, he held a conference further criticising the press as, quote, so dishonest. So dishonest. So dishonest. Sounds like a burn book from Mean Girls. (laughs) So dishonest. They're dishonest so much. They're always doing it. Yeah. (laughs) They never stop. Afterward, White House press secretary and certified big boy, Sean Spicy Spicer, barred certain journalists from a daily briefing. Organizations banned included the New York Times, CNN, Politico, and the LA Times, seemingly as punishment for their reporting on the numerous, yes, numerous, connections between the current White House and Russia. Well, that was so interesting to me because I think think someone referred to the press, maybe it was Sean Spicer or maybe it wasn't, as the opposition party. And then he wanted to ban the opposition party from the building. And I'm like, you can't ban the, if they are the opposition, that would be like saying we can't have the Democrats in Congress because they're the opposition Mm. party. Like that's not, (laughs) even if the media are the opposition party, that's not how this works. Well, not having the Democrats in Congress is the current system. Being as our Republicans (laughs) control all the branches of government. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, some of them are there, but no, you know, that doesn't matter. They just go, oh, oh, this administration's corrupt. Shut up, Democrats. No, whiny, whiny, whiny. Bloody whining liberals. Equally worrying are the new revelations from Trump's former communications director, Sam Nunberg. I think I had a Nunberg from Mr. Berger the other day, didn't I? (laughs) In a recent article by Politico, Nunberg confirms our suspicions that Trump is a three-year-old with limited capacity for criticism and, I suspect, object permanence. In the article, which reads scarily like what to expect when you're expecting, members of Trump's campaign team revealed the many methods for calming the baby man and now leader of the free world. 
Throughout the campaign and currently still, Trump is surrounding himself with yes-men who state that it's, quote, important to offer praise and respect as this will lead him to more often listen. (sighs) According to six former campaign officials, the key to keeping his damaging Twitter habit under control is to filter his media consumption to primarily or entirely favourable reports. And if there isn't much, then these pathetic causes of the end times would create some. And he, he, he tweets a lot at like four in the morning. So this is, this is a full-time job. No wonder they haven't got much legislation announced. They're all just worrying about keeping him off Twitter. Yeah. Do you reckon he naps? Like, if he's up at four in the morning, surely he's napping, right? I think he just doesn't sleep. I think he just, I think he just doesn't sleep very much. He can't run on no tank. I think he just sleeps for a couple of hours and then he gets up. He's like, oh, I've got to get back to Fox News. Mm-mm. Gotta see what they're saying. What are they saying? <laughs> What's Morning Joe got to say about me? Oh, Morning Joe. That's my Donald Trump impression, by the way. <laughs> that was pretty spot on. Yeah. How you going? I'm I'm bloody Donald Trump. You should be at the White House Correspondents' Dinner instead of Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> After his online berating of the Khan family, a Muslim family who spoke at the Democratic Convention about their son who died fighting for America... It was this team who made conservative media such as Breitbart aware of the family's previous links to the Democratic Party and who would then write articles the team would then show to Trump. Another hot tip for calming your needy prez when he's feeling particularly hard done by is to print off a two-page list of positive tweets to convince him that the media is starting to see his side. Is your needy prez feeling particularly hard done by? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Twitter, now on paper. (laughs) Because that's the thing. Don't you think, like, if you were a politician or any kind of public figure, wouldn't you just have a rule that you never went on social media? Because the comments on social Mm. media are always such a bin fire about, like, how you are essentially the worst person on the face of the earth. But Trump seems to want that approval all Mm. the time. That just seems so telling about his personality to me. I don't know that he... I don't know that he actually uses Twitter to, like correspond with people he i mean he doesn't reply to people he doesn't like i doubt that he reads his timeline apparently it is easier for his media team to control what he reads because it's still a newspaper he's keeping the industry alive it seems like he's their final customer (laughs) i mean it's also relatively easy for his media team to control what he reads by making sure his reading skills never move beyond a third grade level (laughs) it's true though (laughs) yeah Also, apparently leaving him alone for several hours can be damaging uh, because he'll consume media that has not been filtered and then gripe to people outside the White House. So it's not dissimilar as to when you bring home a new puppy. The people working for this man recommend that you constantly supervise him, lest he piss on the rug. Yeah, put the newspapers down for him. (laughs) (laughs) And then take him to his computer so he can take his daily Twitter dump and then we can move on with the death. (laughs) And now, since Trump has been able to deliver an address to Congress without any true offences or racial slurs, the right-wing media and even outlets such as CNN are praising him for being presidential in tone, which is ridiculous because just because somebody constantly fails to meet your expectations doesn't mean you should just lower them. Too late. (laughs) It's too late. (laughs) No. There was all this talk about the danger of normalising Donald Trump and uh, it's happened. One month in, we're we're there. Yeah. But then it also happened after any, like, Republican debate where he didn't call Ted Cruz Lion Ted. 
And so they're like, well, he has, wow. <laughs> He's really come a long way. No, but the thing is, we've been here before and it's just going to happen again and again. When then he's going to say something horrifying and we're going to be like, ugh, he's back at it again. And then he'll just somehow not be offensive. And he's like, you know what? He is a precedent. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it is so normalized that, that this man is the president. I mean, he is a moron. Mm. Like, I can't, it's, uh, I suspect I'm not saying anything that, uh, that has been said before, but he's like actually a fucking mm. idiot. Not in the sense of... Like, disagree with his policies, yada, yeah. yada, yada. Like, Tony Abbott, mm. I called an idiot, but yeah. he can, like, read. He can formulate a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I, won't ag- I won't agree with it, mm. but Donald Trump is an actual, actual moron. Mm. And the fact that journalists can say the phrase, President Trump, without oh. just falling to their knees and screaming at the sky... Mm. is too normalized. (laughs) (sighs) Not with a bang. I didn't want to only talk about Donald Trump. I wanted this podcast to be about interesting stories and movements from around the world, but I can't not only talk about Donald Trump. No. Well, why should we hold ourselves to a higher standard than every other media outlet? That's a good point. That's a good point. Let's just stick with what works. (laughs) Trump's joint session speech last week. Mm -hmm. Fuck, that was boring. (laughs) A lot of people had really grand expectations of this speech, that he would detail his specific plans to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. He didn't really. He just listed problems with the current system that he might attempt to de-escalate the tensions between his administration and the media, that he might detail what his oft-promised plans for tax reform and infrastructure are, that at the very least he would say a bunch of crazy nonsense that the internet could turn into hilarious memes. But no, they just had some unpaid interns shoot off some vaguely patriotic idioms and stuck them on a teleprompter for him. The most shocking revelation of the speech for me was that it showed that Donald Trump can, in fact, read. That... uh that actually did surprise me. I was ready for, like, improvised, like, him going off tap. I was ready for anything, but not reading. He gets the first 10 seconds out, and then he just goes off script. So I'm talking about how <laughs> tremendous everything is. Yeah. No, so that that is, I mean, despite what I just said, that is a, a big revelation. Um, mm. Of course, the liberal media didn't report on that, typical. No, of course. They did say that he was very presidential. A more presidential Trump. This is a pivot to becoming a president. Even his critics admit he sounded more presidential. He sounded more presidential. Tonight, Donald Trump became the president of the United States. At long last, one month into his term, Donald Trump is the president. It was bound to happen at some point. Yeah. I was still hoping, still hoping, holding out for something else, but no. It was like when the... It's like when Abbott said that good government starts today, like <laughs> almost a year after he'd been elected, yeah. like 16 months or something. The same thing is true when they say Trump finally became the president. Um, like he he has been the president for quite some time now. Not my right? president. Have you, have you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literally not my president. I'm in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None of us had anything to do with this. So bearing in mind the incontrovertible fact that all media critical of President Donald Trump's is lies, reports continue to allege Russian ties to the Trump presidential campaign. The latest alleged co-conspirator is brand new attorney general and 
your racist grandfather, but he means well. And come on, he's old. It's just his way. <laughs> Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions. If I'm Australian, do I say Alabama or Alabama? Bama. That's not a. Yeah. Is this a Isn't real question? Just, I think <laughs> yes. I think Alabama might be like some kind of drag act from Alabama that does like Obama speeches or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd pay to see that. <laughs> Alabama as president. Uh, during Sessions's confirmation hearing, he was asked whether he had any knowledge of ties you, between You might say it was a you might say it was a confirmation session once. <laughs> oh. Good stuff. During the hearing, he was asked whether he had any knowledge of ties between the Trump campaign staff and Russian officials. Here is a clip of the exchange. Important context being Sessions is under oath here. If there is any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign, what will you do? Senator Franken, I'm not aware of um, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have, not have communications with the Russians. Now, can anyone guess whether or not current Attorney General and self-described Trump campaign surrogate Jeff Sessions met with the Russian ambassador to America on at least two occasions last year or not? Oh, God. Oh, no. Easy thing to forget. Easy thing to forget, though. <laughs> you know when you Easy just meet the Russian ambassador and... <laughs> just slips your yeah. mind a little bit. We're all busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, I'm sure he had meetings with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I would have thought the guy who everyone thinks is in America merely mm. to recruit Russian spies mm. would stick out in your mind. Mm. <laughs> well, I believe he did say that he met with him, but they didn't talk about campaign stuff, so it was fine. And then he later said... That they did meet, but he didn't remember what they talked about, including whether or not they talked about campaign stuff. They're just shooting the shit, man. Just shooting the shit. (laughs) So, Democrats are saying he should resign, of course. The fact that the Attorney General, the top cop in our country, lied under oath to the American people is grounds for him to resign. Because the Department of Justice should be above reproach for the good of the country... Attorney General Sessions should resign. The thing is, why would he resign? I mean, as we discussed before, normalcy does not apply anymore. Mm. The president himself lies more than he breathes. I'm not even sure his breaths are true. Maybe he doesn't breathe air. Mm. If he told you it was raining, you wouldn't have to check because the fact that he said it was raining means that it is definitely not Mm. raining. Donald Trump is almost definitely a decades-long tax cheat. He has refused to pay contractors just because he didn't want to. There is police evidence that he beat his first wife at least once, and she even said that he raped her back in the 80s. On that, he has been called to federal court over allegations that he raped a 13-year-old girl in 1994. And he is the president. I, I don't see why conspiring with Russia to influence the election would be disqualifying at all. Well, yeah, and isn't the issue that plenty of people would have met with the Russian ambassador, but, like, Sessions was under oath when he said he hadn't. <laughs> the best thing about him being under oath there is that he volunteered that he had met with the with the Russian ambassador and hadn't talked about the campaign. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't specifically asked about that. He just volunteered it. Right. <laughs> under oath. Yeah, great. <laughs> great. So it was real overconfidence. That was his problem. <laughs> 
It was like, look, I don't know, I don't know about these allegations, but I'll tell you what I didn't do. Let me, let me, let me say that right now. So we're in lighter news this week to Zimbabwe, where Grace Mugabe, the wife of Zimbabwean president and complete and utter psychopath Robert Mugabe, has told reporters that her husband is so popular he could run in next year's Zimbabwean election, quote, as a corpse and still win votes. (laughs) Although, obviously, his support would be expected to fall to just something like 95 to 96 percent of the popular vote. And to be clear, he wouldn't still win votes when he was dead because he doesn't actually win votes in any real sense in the first place in that he never gets as many as he says he does and he wins them through violence and intimidation. Well, define win, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like they say in uh, AFL football, look, you know, we, we didn't necessarily win pretty, we won ugly today, but, you know, a win's a win. Mm-hmm. The full quote from Grace Mugabe was that, quote, one day when God decides that Mugabe dies, we will have his corpse appear as a candidate on the ballot paper. And I can't help but feel that Grace Mugabe is undercutting her own belief in God there, because if there is a God, God would have killed Robert Mugabe years ago, because this is a man who has said, quote, we need continuity in our race, and that comes from the woman, and no to homosexuality. John and John, no. Maria and Maria, no. They are worse than dogs and pigs. I keep pigs, and the male pig knows the female one. Knows the female one. He's very eloquent, though, isn't he? Man on man, no. No thanks. Male pig on female pig, that's hot. (laughs) Show me that. Find a guy who reads, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Other great quotes from Robert Mugabe include him saying, quote, I am still the Hitler of the time. No! That's what your criticisms are meant to be. <laughs> That's not the good thing. <laughs> I think Godwin's law is truly dead at this point. <laughs> I just love that he says, still? Like, how long has he thought of himself as the Hitler of the time? And which time? What defining moment where he's like, now. <laughs> now is the time. <laughs> Yeah, I like to think that's just on his LinkedIn. (laughs) Robert Mugabe, still the Hitler of the time. Um, Another couple, uh, quote, the only man you can trust is a dead white man. What? (laughs) I don't don't understand it. (laughs) Should I be offended? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Um, Is that reverse racism? Yeah. Well, I don't don't know. I'm offended on principle. Yeah, because I don't know whether he's saying that he doesn't trust white people or that's just like his pro-feminist, I don't trust any men. Mm. I don't, I'm so confused by the meaning of that. And then lastly, um, quote, Britain is a very cold, uninhabitable country with small houses. He's, I mean, it's not wrong. Okay, look, to be fair, he, he does have a point yeah. on that last one. That's, that's not, he's not completely crazy. Was he trying to roast him? Was that the point of that? Like a real question. Was that meant to be an insult? <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. Oh, well, man. Imagine his Comedy Central roasts if that's the shit he comes up with. <laughs> Your house isn't as warm as it should be. I mean, that's that's why they had to go and inhabit all the other countries. Their own was was not habitable. 
Well, and see, this raises the interesting point about Mugabe, because, like, he is to some people a revolutionary leader who threw off the yoke of imperialist British rule. Um, but then since the 1980s, he's been in charge of Zimbabwe, and Zimbabwe is not a fun place to live. And he and his wife, Grace Mugabe, have courted controversy for all the wrong reasons. At a time when Zimbabwe was dirt poor in 2003, Grace Mugabe went on a holiday to Paris where she spent 127000 US dollars in a bizarre spending spree. That's actually pretty good by Australian politician standards. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those in glass houses. Yeah. And look, all of this is being discussed because there's going to be an election in 2018 where Robert Mugabe has just been endorsed by the ZANU-PF party to run in that election. And again, you can obviously insert inverted commas around the word election in that sentence. (laughs) Why don't they just announce that he won already? Get it over with. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, look, Lance, they have drafted that press release. Um, By which time he will be 94. And there's a theory um, that Grace Mugabe is setting herself up to be the successor um, to Robert Mugabe, which obviously would just open up more opportunities for her to visit foreign countries and spend hundreds of thousands of US dollars uh, in more spending sprees. Nice. How how old is she? 93? 92? No, she's substantially younger. Ah, dictator classic. Younger wife. Classic dictator (laughs) move. (laughs) Wait, how old is she? 50-something, 60-something. Wow. Yeah. You can just imagine, like, typical Aussie blokes, like, giving Mugabe a high five over that. Dictators get hotties. (laughs) Well played, mate. So he would have had to marry her when he was, like, in his late 50s or something? Or when he was 40-something and she was one? (laughs) Yeah. She has also been asked about the suggestion that she would run uh, as Mugabe's successor or take over from Robert Mugabe. And she has sort of rejected that for now, saying that she has professed, quote, fierce loyalty to Robert Mugabe, which, first of all, is just a requirement to living in Zimbabwe, right? You can't live in Zimbabwe without expressing fierce loyalty to Mugabe. That's like a minimum requirement, particularly if you're married to him. I'm pretty sure at his wedding, you could hear the celebrant say, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband to cower from and live in constant fear from as long as you both shall live? And there was a pause. And then you could hear a gun cock in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and Mrs. Mugabe said, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just on the Wikipedia. His first wife died. Oh. No. Oh, we were making fun of him. Was that in suspicious circumstances or have I made that up? Um, kidney failure. Shit happens. Kidney failure as a result of a gunshot wound or? (laughs) Kidney failure because Robert Mugabe needed a new (laughs) set of kidneys. (laughs) Look, it doesn't go into detail. (laughs) Perhaps. Not with a bang. Your audio guide to the end of the world. All right, that's the episode. What are you guys up to? Um, I've got a show coming up in Comedy Fest. You go on millieholton.com. You can see all those details. And also a show coming up every Thursday. Again, website for details. And also a different show coming up on Sunday night, 19th. Uh, it's one I'm really excited for. Matt and Millie have a time machine. It's just me on stage with one other person. So I get the validation that I need um, and all of the spotlight. So please come. It's on the what, website. Who, who's Matt? 
Oh, just Matt's. Uh, I know. I wish it was just a solo show, but I had to include someone else. So just Matt's uh, another improviser, and he's very funny. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Brutal. You got to do what you have to do. All right. Mm. Yeah. I hope Matt never hears that. <laughs> he's great. Apparently, yeah, we had great. a time machine. Yeah. Matt's funny. Nice save. Nice save. I like the sound of this, Matt. Where's Matt? Oh. Pat, what are you doing? Uh, I just finished my show in Adelaide. It was a lot of fun, uh, which is why I'm a little bit tired today. <laughs> um, but I'm doing a show at the comedy festival called Don't Watch the News, Watch Pat McCaffrey from the 11th of April to the 23rd at 9.45 at the Chinese. You're doing a different show? Uh, yeah, slightly different. This is a show I did in... Adelaide Fringe last year, um, but obviously I've updated it to keep it relevant <laughs> to what the yeah what has been going on in the news. Because it'd be weird to do a show called Don't Watch the News, Watch Pat McCaffrey, and then just have a whole bunch of jokes that have nothing to do with Donald Trump or Malcolm Turnbull. Oh, that that Tony Abbott's a real dickhead. Give, yeah, give me give me your time machine, Millie, and I'll just do a show that is news from twenty four months ago, <laughs> two years ago. Brilliant. Remember Tony Abbott? He was fun. He was always saying wacky things. I was just trying to think, like, yeah, what was the the hot jokes? So many hot jokes because, you know, the show sold out and stuff. That but um, what, what? I don't even remember mm. the material. There was a lot of a lot of dark stuff in there about ISIS. Oh, that yeah, big story. ISIS. Yeah. Um, the Adam Good scenario, um, Reclaim Australia. <laughs> oh. Clive Palmer. Clive Palmer was, was in there, I, I assume. Yeah, yeah. And there, was a, there was a bit about um, gay marriage and... Tony Abbott's talk, I talked about gay marriage in the Fremantle Football mm. Club. That joke would take far too long to explain, <laughs> so I won't. So it doesn't get better because now we're still sad. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Bye. We did it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. See you next week, guys. Not With a Bang is written and performed by Millie Holton, Pat McCaffrey, and me, Lance Turnbull. Logo and artwork by Millie Holton and me. Editing, music, post-production, sound effects, and being very good at kissing. Also by me, Lance Turnbull. Follow us on Twitter at NWABpod, one word, and like us on Facebook also at NWABpod. That's N-W-A-B-pod. Also... Why don't you go and rate us on iTunes, you silly idiots? It's really easy and you can do it right from your podcast app on an iPhone or from iTunes on a Mac or PC. Give it a try. And now a brief selection of Millie Holton begging for the sweet release of death highlights. All these, all these stories just make me sad. I'm sad. No, I'm sad. Oh, kill me. All right. Oh, my God. End me. Oh, my God. End my life. All right. Anyway, cut this out. I'm so sad and tired. <laughs> oh.